this morning, as we look at prayer, we need to be mindful that it's not simply those that are not Christians or those that are outside of the church or outside of the tradition of learning the Lord's Prayer that do not know how to pray. We ourselves, at times, find ourselves in a real muddle. And there's a question that comes into our mind. Am I doing it right? Should I be flailing so much in my words? I'm trying to connect with God, but I just have this this suspicion that I'm not connecting. And we grow tired. It's been said that we don't tend to continue to do things that we don't do very well. We stop doing them all together. But this morning, Jesus Christ comes to us with great encouragement. Great encouragement. And in our weariness and in our cynicism, he answers two great questions. The question that he answers as he begins to tell us how to pray this morning are, God hears us. We have that question. Does God hear me? Is he aware? Does he hear me when I speak? And the second great question is, will he answer at all? There's so many requests. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe it's about an event in the workplace. Maybe it's a personal addiction or a struggle. Maybe it's a great consuming fear or a huge dream that you've been praying about. But as yet, there's no apparent answer. Question number one, does God hear? Question number two, does God answer? Will He answer me? And this morning, I want to encourage you that that you're going to find in the remainder of this message, in this text, the answer to those two things. And you don't, again, it's not simply the unbeliever or those outside of church that struggle with these two questions. So we want to see two things this morning. If you look at your outline, we want to see this morning, we want to see how the Gentiles pray, and then we want to see how a child with great confidence prays. Look at your scripture. There in verse 7, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Now, Jesus has done this before, and he'll do it in just a few moments again when he says to us, Those who are his disciples. And at this point, it would have been a Jewish crowd of men and women and children around him on a hillside listening. And he's got an intimate band of disciples that are clinging to every word and learning as they follow him, the great rabbi teacher. And he says, Jews, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like that mix of the Roman and the Greek and the barbarian who don't know Yahweh, who do not know me, God the Father, and who won't recognize Jesus the Son. 
in Matthew 6, in verse 31, he says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So he's saying there's this anxiety, this this wheel that's just constantly turning in the heart of the Gentiles saying, where am I going to find food? Where am I going to find beverage? Where am I going to find clothing? Where am I going to find housing? How am I going to meet my needs? As if it all rests in dependency upon self. And he says, that's how they pray. So when they pray to God, they're really coming to God for the benefits and they're seeking to move this God for the wants that they have, but they're not coming to God seeking Him for Himself. Jesus uses a phrase here that I find pretty comical. Whoops. He says that when they pray, it's as if they take empty phrases and they heap up phrase upon phrase upon phrase. Now, two boxes to me are not a heap. Five boxes are a heap. So much so that if I'm walking with these boxes, I can no longer see you. It's going to impede my relationship and my communion, my moment-by-moment communion with you. Partly because I'm so concentrated on this heap of boxes, but also because all of those boxes are empty, it's coming before God with lots of verbiage, lots of phrases, but they're empty. The Jews at this time also were very repetitious in their prayers, such that they also would pray for great, great periods of time Thinking again that we have these wants and these needs. And to move God, it's going to take a lot of words. It's a very cynical approach. It's a very cynical spirit that is coming to God and saying, I assume that if you're going to hear me, you're such a great great and holy God, you're at a great distance. So can God hear me? Does God hear me? Yes, they would say, but he's at such a great distance, you're going to have to call him down. You're going to have to. The Jews were famous for using multiple adjectives. One of their prayers has 16 adjectives in their opening address to God. And sometimes we've overheard one another, and there's nothing wrong with with praising God with His name or His famous deeds. But not simply as a mindless, mechanical mantra trying to awaken Him. 
sovereign God of the universe, creator and father of those that are in Christ Jesus. You are holy. You are faithful. And those are, that's true. But if it's just phrases, if it's just mechanics, it could be that they are empty phrases that you're just heaping upon heap and you're going to be very frustrated because you're not going to get what your heart longs for, which is to connect with God. Let me give you an example. You can go to the Old Testament to 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 18, here famously, Elijah has called for a contest. And he's called for a contest between the pagans or the the Gentile priests at that time. And he said, we're going to pray and we're going to have a test of prayer because whoever's God answers their prayer is the true and real God. And so in verse 26, they, the pagan priests, took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. Morning until noon. They started early in that morning. Phrase upon phrase. Time again, time again, time again, time again. And we are led to believe from the Scripture here that it was a very brief prayer. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. But it's repeated and repeated and repeated. So much so like Eastern mysticism that says you want to lose yourself. You don't want to necessarily focus on yourself as much as you just want to lose yourself. And you want to, you want to disconnect yourself from the community around you. And you want to disassociate from your pain by getting into this mindless mantra, cycle of phrases over and over and over. We love the Lord's Prayer at Two Rivers. In fact, when we have our young communicants class prior to each Easter, we teach them and focus on the Lord's Prayer as a prayer that they can pray as a model. And also the Apostles' Creed as as a clear, succinct statement of our faith. But to pray the Lord's Prayer or any prayer mindlessly and mechanically as if it's a magical mantra is simply to heap empty phrase upon empty phrase and not connect. And you can do that like these guys morning till noon. And it says there was no voice and no one answered. And they lived around the altar that they had made. A very interesting turn of phrase there. They, they prayed in their fashion for so long that they were they probably started out dancing and clapping a lot of energy. And at this point, they are so exhausted. They have prayed themselves to exhaustion. Still, they are unheard. 1 Kings 18 verse 27, Elijah comes and he begins to mock them. And he says, 
Cry aloud, for he's a God. In other words, get louder. As if God is hard of hearing. Or God is at such a great distance, you've got you've to call after him longer and louder. Either he is musing, maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's taking care of his own personal things. Or he is relieving himself. Again, a little comical saying he's, he's busy with personal needs. Or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. Lest we feel like this is just the Old Testament and it was restricted to the culture of the day. Here's what I have often heard said of God regarding unanswered prayer. Remember, that's the second question that we want to come away with an answer for this morning. Does God hear and does God really answer prayer? And some have said, He doesn't answer my prayers very often because He's got more important things to think about than my little life. My little boo-boos are so small on the scale of things compared to racial division or world hunger are wars that he just doesn't have the time. He's too busy. I'm not important. He is tending to his own personal interest over my interest. This was a subtle lie of Satan in the garden that you really need to take care of your own interest because God doesn't count the things that are as important to you as important to Him. You're going to have to look after your own good because God really doesn't have your best interest in mind. It's as if God has greater interests. Again, this idea, this cynical attitude, this cynical spirit of the Gentiles praying, saying, God is so busy and He's so distant, you've got to shout loud, you've got to do it repetitiously, and you better get the words right. It's a big world, a universe, and he cannot tend to every place. He's far, far away in an eternal resting place with no cares on earth. We see further here that in 1 Kings, they began to go further. It says in verse 29, that the midday passed, so now they've been praying from morning until noon. Still no voice, still no answer. It's as if no one is hearing, and if it, there is no answer, they raved on. Now they've gotten to a point. This is almost like they're in a trance. So much so that they are beyond pain, as it says, that they will, they will lance themselves with swords. They will, the blood will gush out. And we don't have this on the slides, but if you were to compare their prayer to Elijah's prayer in verse 37 of 1 Kings 18. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust 
and it licked up the water that was in the trench. His prayer is very brief. They're praying morning till noon and no answer. His prayer is but a verse. And God answers. You probably know this already. But God is not so busy that He doesn't hear your prayer. God is not so distant that you have to stay on the line for a long time hoping while you're on hold that He will be able to get around to talking to you. You don't have to get the words right. For you see, unlike the Gentile, which we need to repent of our Gentile cynicism of thinking that God is so busy, He doesn't hear me. Or thinking cynically, I am so much of a mess that I get the words and the rhythm and the sentences and I'm not doing it right. That's why He's not answering. That's not what He's hearing me. We repent of those ways and that we turn and we pray like a child and with confidence. And my encouragement to my heart as I begin to pray, is this. Jesus Christ, as I come to you in prayer, I pray that just as you are a covering for my life, therefore you make my life right, that you will make my prayers right. You will make my words right. We don't move God because we have the right words or we have the right rhythm We move God when we come to Him, as it says in verse 8, and we see a Father who sees our need even before we ask Him. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 129 is, what does that little word, Amen, express? Or some would say, Amen. Amen means this is sure to be. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. They base this out of Isaiah chapter 64, 65, excuse me, where it says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And this is God speaking to His children. This is made possible in Galatians 4. and We looked at this last week. In Galatians 4, we read that that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, that is to rescue, who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God, as the perfect Father, hears even the smallest petitions. And we can approach Him with the confidence of a child 
that he will not deny us an answer. That he longs to give more than we even long to ask. He's that kind of father. He has adopted us. He has chosen us. He wasn't just stuck with us. But it was his great adoptive father's delight that through the work of Jesus Christ, through the life of Christ being given to us and applied to us, he now hears us the very same way that he would hear Jesus Christ. It cannot be otherwise. Are you a cynic or are you a child? Do you have a cynical spirit? Or do you have the heart of a confident child? The cynical spirit will eventually just stop praying altogether. And it will rely upon money to answer its prayers. It will rely on its own personal talents to answer its prayer. It will uh, will rely just on the chronology and the time and season of the world to eventually cause that will to turn and answer that prayer. In other words, it will operate independent of God as a father. It will operate as the opposite of verse 8 in Matthew 6. Do not be like them, Jesus says, for you've got a father. You're not an orphan. Be a confident child. The cynic, if we were to look at Psalm 23, the cynic, as we all do, faces the valley of shadows. And when the cynic enters into that season of life facing the valley of shadows, all he sees is the dark. It's dark ahead. Very little room for joy or hope. The confident child, he doesn't see the valley as much as he sees the Lord is my shepherd. He sees the shepherd up ahead and his heart is stilled and made glad. Does God answer? Indeed He does. J.I. Packer, when he was, tells this story about prayer and about answers to prayer. When he was 11 years old at Christmas, he came to his parents and approaching them said, I would like to have a bicycle. Now, At that time, they didn't have junior-sized bicycles, so they only had adult-sized bicycles. And his parents gave to him a gift. They gave him a typewriter. Now, can you imagine sharing with your classmates after Christmas what you received? Oh, I got a bicycle. What'd you get, J.I.? I got a typewriter. But he would later, he would later, as one of the most prolific Christian writers to ever live, he would later say that during my youth, that typewriter was the most valuable possession that I owned. Because with that typewriter, I found a voice. And with that voice, I found myself and God, and I could speak to others. J.I. Packer's father, cruel, mean, or loving, knowing his son intimately. He did answer 
J.I. Packer's request for a gift. He did give him a gift. But God, as the perfect Father, when you pray regarding answers to prayer, God will give you what you would ask, have asked for in the first place if you knew what God knew. Let me say that again. God answers your prayer in a way that it is identical to what you would have asked for yourself the first time if you knew what God knew. If you knew what God knew about you and His plans for your destiny and your life. If you knew what He knew about His heart, His loving, fatherly heart towards you. This morning, I want to encourage you to repent and join me in my own life of turning away from just formulaic prayers, which there is a place, and we'll talk later about that, not today, but in another message, about where prayer formulas can actually help us as an aid. But if it has reduced us to a point that it is mindless and mechanical. And you'll know when it's that because you will begin to feel the disconnect. You'll begin to doubt if you're being heard. You'll begin to fear that there is no answer coming. But I want to encourage you this morning to pray very, very simply. Pray very simply. Pray like a child. Pray trusting that God hears and God will answer. One way that you can do this is you certainly uh, are encouraged to, to pray uh, in a private place, in a secret place, in your closet, so that you would not be distracted or disturbed. But consider writing out prayers. Consider in the classroom. Consider in your home in a moment of distress or reflection, consider writing out on a napkin or a post-it note or a card. Consider writing out a prayer, a very short prayer. You can, wherever you are, you can say, God, you're my Father. You know everything that I need even before I ask. So ditto all that. I don't have to recount all of that. You know everything and more that I need. I want you to receive all of my praise and thanksgiving that you're over all those things. You're my Father and I'm your child. Amen. It is so. It is sure to happen. It is done. You are heard and He will answer. And you've prayed. And we can do that multiple times in the course of the day. One of the uh, scriptures that came up for me this week in my uh, devotions was out of Genesis 16. And it's the first prayer of Hagar. Hagar has been sent out by her mistress Sarah because she's born a child, Ishmael, to Abraham. And Sarah, out of her pettiness and out of her jealousy, has sent her away. 
Hagar is found at the last outpost, a well on the edge of the wilderness. She is looking down the valley of the shadow. We don't read, we don't read anything except verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. That's her prayer. You're a God of seeing. You see Abraham. You see Sarah. You see me. You're a God of seeing. Jesus says, you have a father who sees you. And he knows. And God comes to her and he tells her to return. And she says, truly here, I've seen him who looks after me. And that's my prayer for Two Rivers. That we would know that God hears even the most simple prayers as we approach Him as sons and daughters. For we approach Him as confident children of a Father who sees us. And He knows our needs already. And He is delighted to receive our prayer. And so we come. Let us prepare our hearts for this table as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you very simply that through Jesus Christ we're counted as your sons and daughters. And just like no father ever turned away a request from a child without an answer, we know that you hear our prayers And that you answer, and you answer for our greatest, greatest good. And we trust you. For we know that you see us, you hear us, and you do so through Christ because you love us. And because you love him. Father, this morning there are some of us that we have been far too busy to pray. Not you. We repent. And we make our return. Father, there's some of us that we know a lot about you, but cynically we don't trust you to have our best interest in mind. And so we don't trust your answers. We don't, we don't come anymore. We repent of a cynical heart. We repent that our dreams have died in ashes because we just look at the valley of shadow without any hope. Father, may we return this morning again as confident children, sons and daughters, seeing you, the Father, as our Father, in our world, immediately present. So, Father, strengthen us from this table. Feed your children. Feed your children with your nearness. Feed your children with your presence. Let us see Jesus. Let us see Jesus in the bread, in the cup, Let us see your promises of life and that with joy in relation to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.